0: How are you guys doing?
1: Good!
0: It's beautiful morning. and uh, Is it a beautiful morning in Okinawa? Is the sun out? Every morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, sometimes. I don't know if it's rainy season. You miss it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Every day. Um, I actually think that Kadena is the greatest assignment in the Air Force, hands down. No questions asked. Yep,
1: agree. Yeah, I could
0: say that too. Absolutely. Right. For sure. So, where, where are you going, Captain Bush? I heard you're leaving soon.
2: Yep, they got sick of me and they're going to boot me. Um, they they're sent me off to, uh, I'm doing the LLM program. So, I'm going to go to the government contract program in, in Washington, D.C. And then, uh, who knows after that, just kind of a one year gig. And then you usually either stay in the area or go to Wright Pat or another kind of contracting phase. So, we'll see. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, DC's not bad. Are you excited about D.C.?
2: Definitely. Yeah, that's where I went to law school, so I'm pretty really, really excited about you know going back to that area. Um, my wife, they, that's, she used to work there, so she's got some good connections. We've got a lot of friends there. It's going to be a really good year, I think.
0: Okay. Awesome. Good. How are you, sir Flores?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you, sir. Yep.
0: Yeah. Cool. You all busy?
1: I think that's an understatement (laughs) Um, there's always something going on here but as a loss I definitely I am excited every day to come to work because I have a great team and it's always something new because there's no checklist and you know being a loss as you already know so it's a different hat compared to being a military justice NTOIC. But I do know that I I definitely thank my supervision and shout out to Sergeant Martin, Sergeant Bolda, Sergeant Anderson, who's now retired. You know, all of them um, who truly uh, developed me to, to be ready for this role. So whether it was the Justice NTYC to now the loss, it's kind of like how did that happen in a span of four years? So
0: that's right. I mean, I remember what not even maybe three years ago we were, uh, we were both just military justice paralegals at cadena right i mean i would say none of us were NCOICs and then to think from that point to now well i want to say about four years ago yeah from that point to now like a lot has definitely changed yeah. but thank you so much for taking the time uh to do this i've um you know, I've definitely admired how you guys have been doing business over there at Cadena. Um And not only that, but, you know, I just saw that you guys won the best legal office in the Air Force for 2019. So that's a huge deal. So congratulations on that. That is amazing. And but it's not surprising either because it's a testament to the hard work that you guys have been doing. And we put in there and I saw it firsthand, right? I mean, although I was in the PME world, I would come around every now and then and I would see just the outstanding work. And, and, and it's not like one of those situations in which production is happening, uh, but then people are miserable, like, right? It just seemed like people were getting along and people were seemed happy. I mean, I don't know. If they we're putting it in front, but right. they seem to enjoy their time there at the legal office. They seem to be thriving. I think in legal office, so I just kinda wanted to highlight some of the things that you guys have been doing, obviously the preparation for the big inspection, and just getting into the day to day, you know, how do you guys go about the day to day operations and will mainly be centered around military justice. So again, thank you. I'll introduce you real quick and then after I introduce you, you can go ahead and just tell me a little bit about yourself. So we've got uh Captain Bush. Uh, here with us today, and he is the Chief of Military Justice there at Kadena. And we also have, you know, our superstar in the paralegal curve, you know, Master oh Sergeant, Master I'm Sergeant Flores, uh, who is currently, uh, <laughs> office superintendent, but obviously she did, uh, some, uh, some time, a lot of time as the ncyc of Military Justice. But I'll just go ahead and, uh, and, uh, leave it up to you to just say a little bit, a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I'm Captain uh, Gabriel Bush. I'm going in my sixth year of the JAG Corps now. Started off my assignment, my first assignment at Fort Sam Houston. Um, so really loved Texas and working with all the, the great people there, the various legal offices throughout that region. And then uh, got my uh, dream sheet dreams come true and was able to come to Kadena as my number one Thick and I don't know what happened to the assignment gods, but they they uh, accepted my offerings and, <laughs> and placed me here in Kadena. So uh, I was really grateful for that opportunity, just super excited to come overseas. One of the main reasons my family and I joined the Air Force is for opportunities like this. Um, so we've just been really thrilled, and it it's absolutely lived up to um, all the hype and expectations that, that we kind of had. And so it's been an amazing um, three years of uh, Finishing up now here, um, I, I started off as Chief of Civil Law, then went to kind of this, um, gap filler position, um, we have as the Chief of Litigation, which is, is basically to prep you to become the Chief of Justice of Kadena. Um, and then for my third year, I've been the uh, Chief of Military Justice. So, as you mentioned, you know, it's been, a, an awesome team. Um, I've never worked with such a cool, cohesive, sharp team. Um, everyone from the leadership, uh, to, to the, uh, the temporary staff that, that come through here. There's just a really good uh, energy and work ethic and um, people are able to maintain uh, professionalism and personalities. And it really strike a fun and hardworking balance that I think is, has given us some really positive results and it's been wonderful to be a part of.
0: It just seems like, you know, a blend of all the great things that you want from an assignment, right? Sometimes the things don't match up, right? Sometimes you're at a great location, but, you know, work is not that great, or, but it seems like, you know, the Cadena legal office right now, it's, uh, it has it all. It definitely has it all. And then you mentioned Fort Sam Houston. I think that I had an assignment to go there while you were there. Um, I had been, I had been tagged to go, but then it conflicted with, me being selected for DSD, so they had to cancel that and then i was able to stay in cadena which i love. but if i had to go back to the states which i did now and i'm okay with where i am i do like white men. Um, but for example i mean i love
2: san antonio so san antonio is yeah. a great time as well it is such a cool town and just a really really fun unique excitement to air assignment, too, assignment with, with so many different um folks and so many different legal offices within just such a small radius that you really get a lot of, of new exposure to, to just different career fields and, and professionals throughout the JAG Corps. So, yeah, I'd I, I go back in a Heartbeat, San Antonio is awesome. Absolutely.
0: And I read something else in your bio, and I think maybe Sergeant Flores already kind of told you about that, uh, that you speak Brazilian, well, you speak both Portuguese and Brazilian Portuguese.
2: Yeah right so, so yeah okay go ahead <laughs> no i've just been um I, I was fortunate enough to right after high school to go uh serve a mission for my church i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter day saints so and one one of our um uh opportunities to, to basically spend a two-year mission and sometimes that assignment sends you abroad so i was uh, Really fortunate to go to Brazil and I lived in Salvador, Brazil, or Bahia, Brazil for two years. Just really fell in love with the country and the language. And so I tried to keep up my language skills since then and, and did the, um, the language enabled airman program. So the LEAP program, um, started that as soon as I entered the JAG Corps and they ironically slotted me for European Portuguese, which I was kind of upset about at first because I was, you know, I, I really love Brazilian Portuguese. Um, but it was a neat opportunity to, to learn the different dialects. Um, they're, they're quite different, but then to be able to, to work um, with some of our Portuguese partners both in Europe and then in Africa, we really neat opportunities out of that. So can't stress the LEAP program enough. Very, very awesome uh, program. You've got supportive leadership, and you can really have some incredible experiences there. Great. That's great.
0: Well, you got to say something. You got to say a little bit in Brazilian Portuguese, and I can understand right because I speak Spanish. So I can pick up okay. on the Brazilian Portuguese.
2: Sure, sure. Okay. Bom dia a todo mundo. Espero todo de bem para vocês. Espero que tenham um dia maravilhoso. Sim, todos <laughs> de bem para vocês. Para os Baianos que amo.
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, 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 that's pretty good. I caught most of that. About 80% of that. Um, about having a beautiful day. hope that everyone has a beautiful day. Marvelous, marvelous day. Awesome. All right. Well, Sergeant Flores.
1: Hey, everybody. Um, Although Sergeant Perez calls me a superstar, I would like to first give credit to the people who have raised me. It took a whole village to raise Sergeant Flores. Um, Basically, I have been in the military. I've been in the Air Force for 13 years. I just hit my 13 year mark. I was initially a cop, a crowd defender. I used that experience and definitely took that into the paralegal career field. Uh, I retrained and here I am, right? Um, I was stationed at Beale Air Force Base, which is ACC. I had great mentors and trainers out there, such as Senior Master Sergeant Larson, who used to work up at my NAF. And then also, uh, the person that stuck out to me most was Sergeant Matson, Valerie Mattson. She was amazing when it came to military justice. And tag teaming with both getting the training at an ACC base and then coming over here to uh, Kadena definitely was able to help me push the military justice section to where it needs to be, but definitely a lot of teamwork there. After I got the assignment to Kadena, I essentially did a continuous tour here. So I will be, this would be my last year. Next year I'm separating and I'm Going to the University of Hawaii Richardson Law School. So I'll be going there for three years, but I'll be a reserve paralegal um, while I'm going to law school. Um, majority of the time, for the service that I've been in for paralegals, I was a uh, military justice paralegal for three years here on Kadena. So that was 2016 to 2019. And then immediately after that, I, you know, Senior Master Sergeant Martin retired and I was able to naturally progress up and then currently serving as the law. When I was a military justice paralegal with Sergeant Perez, I definitely have to say that you were my wingman. Um, we had a great team out here, Sergeant Brookins, um, Sergeant Murphy, Jessica Murphy. I definitely looked up to her when she came to running the military justice section. It was very, she was very knowledgeable with her job and she was very, professional when it came to training her people and investing in that. So that stood out to me the most. Um, on top of that, senior master Larson was able to set the foundation for me when I was coming in as a retrainee. right? So a lot of her mentorship and a lot of the, you know, the tools and techniques that I've learned from various people, I was able to take that and molded into my leadership philosophy, which is honesty, accountability, and humility. Um, with that, the three years of military justice here at Cabina was not easy. I mean, you saw the, the cases that we have. It started between 10 cases to so 14, to so 16. I mean, we always had a big load of cases. But the most important piece for me as an NCYC was when Senior Master Sergeant Martin said to me, you essentially run a small legal office back there. And I took that to heart. You know, I took I took that as, wow, that's a big responsibility. Running a small legal office, which I have five paralegals, seven attorneys, and one um, Japanese liaison. You know, so having that in mind pushed me to be my best. You know, my team pushed me to bring my best every day and learn together. And with that, we invested more in our relationship building because we focus on the people first and then the process. And when we were able to focus on the people, we focused on building them as leaders and empowering them to own their programs. Regardless if you were the Article 15 clerk all the way up to the SJA, every person in our office values relationship as a bottom line, we do not breed competition in here. Naturally, competition occurs, but you walk into our office and people will will tell you, um, not just with the JI team as a testament, but um, last week we had the PA photographer come in and say, "You have a really fun office." You know what do you guys do? Well, we encourage people to be themselves. We encourage people to be themselves. We encourage them to bring their talents, and we also encourage them to sharpen each other. So it's it's not, it's a safe environment for us to accept that experts are once beginners, right? And then also that allowed people to be more confident in, hey, I don't understand this. Can you help me understand it? It's, we created a safe zone to where it was more non-judgmental. It was more, let's, hey, let's learn this together. The honesty piece is very straightforward as it is. Uh, We will give you that direct feedback. We will tell you where we can improve on. Accountability piece goes a long way, you know, from top to bottom. And then humility is being able to say, I need help on this. And I'm sorry I screwed up. What can we do better next time? So when you're able to have a relationship-fostered office, you're able then to propel them to you know, push for the mission because everybody is understanding how important they are uh, and what they bring to the table.
0: Absolutely. you made a lot of good points in there, Uh, but I have to highlight the one that you mentioned about empowerment and, you know, that's what essentially... How ownership takes place once you empower certain individuals
2: to to to
0: do certain things without having to be monitoring all the time and just allowing for certain mistakes then people can take ownership of their programs and, 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 and what they're doing on a daily basis as well so uh, a really good point on that so thank you for the insight and for the introduction so we'll go ahead and jump in. I have some questions that I want to just kind of explore with your office just to kind of see how things operate or yeah how things essentially operate in the legal office at the military justice section there so we'll start with what does a day in the life of a military of a NCOIC of military justice looks like and subsequently what does a day in the life of a chief of military justice looks like as well and this i mean at cadena we're talking about a, a large legal office so so what are your thoughts?
2: You want to start? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. And I also, sorry, I failed to mention too that um, the the podcast is super cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it really, is really well done. On Innovation. That. Yeah, I that's that's so cool and so overdue. I saw that just just last month. I was scrolling through, and then I, I I saw that and listened to a couple episodes, and just really impressed with what y'all are doing. So thanks for having us, and thanks for putting this together. And it's going to be an invaluable resource for so many people. I think with the episodes you're doing. Yeah, um, thank you, sir. Yeah. That, yeah, that being said, so Dave, the Chief Military Justice, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this and in, in just, just walking through what I do on a normal Monday because I think that kind of highlights the laying out the week ahead the best. So on a normal Monday, I usually try and come in um, during the calm before the storm, <laughs> at least on Mondays, um, a lot earlier to be able to sit down, check email, review what's kind of coming up in the week, look at the blotter. Review anything that happened over the weekend that I know is going to have to um, be discussed in our with the justice section. Um, review kind of the curfew logs that we have out here, and, and mapping out what the fifteen teams are doing, what the courts are doing, and what what our basically top three and four, five, and six are going to be for the day and for the week. And then um, what we usually do is we'll jump right into a justice meeting huddle where we have a giant red cowbell, and, nice. <laughs> and we just ring oh. it every morning, and uh, we assemble the team. And everyone you know, um, comes out of their offices and we meet for about 5 to 10 minutes. And, and all it is, is just a really quick touch base um, to see what the top priorities are, what packages we're moving, where they're at, and, and what we can expect for that day and that week in terms of the major moving pieces. Then once we're all kind of in sync, um, usually I'll jump straight from there and get my car and drive over to the OSI office, um, which I think is a really important thing for of Justice to be doing is getting in their cars and getting out and getting in the offices with their partners. Um, and so then I'll attend their weekly meeting. And, and the cases that we were actively advising on, I'll take notes on, um, will provide advice on, on their investigative steps, and I'll also provide relay or feedback from trial counsel teams that I've received on things that are either, um, could use some help, um, some questions, some investigative guidance, just whatever feedback I get from the team I relay at that point to OSI. And then I take their cases and I come back to the legal office. And I, um, send out an email that basically summarizes those updates for our major cases. Um, and then the rest of the day is basically built around, um, working on those Amjams updates. We, Amjams is kind of the lifeline for us. Um, we, we try to just implement as, as much as we can. Nobody who tells you they love Amjams, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, can say it with a straight face, but it is such a valuable tool if you can use it in the right way. And so you can either you know hate the program and fight against it every week and, and struggle with it, or you can try and adapt it and uh, and use it as a valuable tool and, and to, to work for you. And so we've kind of tried to take that, that uh, latter approach and and basically use Amjams as the tool that, to communicate with each other and focus on our next steps and what we're doing, and then also to just capture where we're at in cases. Um, and so everyone in the office is touching that. And what that means is when I give those updates back then on Monday, uh the first people who look at those updates are actually the case paralegals. And then they go and meet with their trial counsel team um and, and talk implement those updates into basically a weekly summary that will be forwarded um to the, the Justice NCOIC who then actually inputs them into AMJAMs. So what happens in the course of the day is you've got um basically everyone in sync from OSI to chief of justice to the individual uh case paralegals and trial counsel and then compiling all that information together into AMFAMS. Um, obviously only one person does it, but we write all the information to the chief, uh, or the military justice, who then drafts it up and, and routes it out to myself and the SGA for review. So that, you know, that obviously takes a lot of time. It will take up a, a bulk of Mondays. Um, but then, uh, usually I'm, I'm, forwarding off an email then to fifth air force, um, our NAP for the kind of our top three of the week. Um, And they ask that we do that every Monday so that they're in sync on our our major uh, blocks that we're trying to move. Um, And then from there, it's just basically answering the phone uh, in between the rest of the time. You know, then you're getting OSI, S2I, uh, shirts, commanders. um, And and I feel like your job as the Chief of Justice is basically to be, um, you know, the the point of contact for the outside world. You take their information and you can distro it and delegate it to the folks who are best situated to handle it. And then same thing when you're when you identify the issues that your team are confronting, that you use those um, you use your context, would be quote unquote outside world to then help get movement on those cases. Um, so it can feel I think it's, it's I think there's a reason why they have the chief justice gig for most games only last a year. <laughs> because sometimes right. you just, sometimes you just feel like you need to get off the hamster wheel just you know long enough to bang your head against the wall <laughs> before you get back on it. Um, but it's such a it's such a rewarding job, and I think if you can you know, I don't always do it, you know, perfectly. That's for sure. But but the times that i felt the most satisfaction in this job is when I um, delegate and and then connect people. Um, whether it's the outside partners uh, that we've talked about um, with our in, inside personnel, but when you can become a you know a, a facilitator basically for for your office, I think that's really when you fill your fulfill your role as CMJs. You're not supposed to take everything on. You're supposed to help identify who's best situated to handle it. And then empower them to do it. And so, yeah, I think we had a lot of success in in the program. Just as Sergeant Flora said, because we've got such a great team, you can you can punt out anything to any one person, and you know that they're going to um, handle it really well. So. Okay. that's awesome. No,
0: well, thank you for that insight. That is a uh, um, a lot of good information there. So,
1: all right. So, as the NCOIC, I am always. With my chief of justice, either walking in and out of his office or going to the meetings with him with OSI. So, like Captain Bush said, it's so important to build relationships outside the office as well, especially with those who we closely work with. Um, with uh, a tempo, so if we are to break down a weekly tempo of Kadena, Mondays are normally our meeting Mondays. So our we you know we catch up with OSI in the morning. We get those case updates um, while once we get back um, as Captain Bush is updating his his OSI summary, what I'm doing then is I am meeting with the NJP clerk and going over the Article 15 reports with with my our, our um, NJP clerk and then looking at the blotter. Um, so when we do that, my, my NJP paralegal can pretty much identify what, what's going to go on. For that entire week that teaches them how to prioritize and then that's also my opportunity kind of to guide them and see hey you might want to take a look at this or hey what are we looking at with you know for the next three days is there any article 15s that maybe we can delegate to other people especially here in cadena where we have a ton of article 15s i would want to say in one quarter one year 40 quarter, at least, 40 quarter yeah. at least. So that's a lot. Um, and most bases don't normally see that number. So it's a team effort. And I empower my NJP clerk to say, ma'am, we have seven Article 15s. I need help building for. That's my responsibility then to take those four and, like Captain Bush said, uh, divvy it out and give it to the people who, the paralegals who are ready to help out. Um, on Tuesdays, uh, so on Mondays, let me go backtrack. After I've met with the NJP clerks, um, I'm going to then go over with our court paralegals and I meet with them individually with their trial teams. And I also go over the case for the week ahead. So when they do that, they bring their six part folder, their checklist and pretty much they, they let me know what I have going on. This is what my trial team and I are focusing on. And then again, it's an opportunity for me to identify if they are on the right track and then, you know, Renavigate them if if they're they're kind of off center a little bit, but that is our opportunity to lay out the groundwork of what we need to get done for the week. So meeting Mondays, um, Tuesdays, those are when we have our M inputs. So that's the combination of the attorney and the paralegal inputs, and the paralegals are in charge of inputting that in M The NCIC scrubs those inputs, and then by eleven thirty, like clockwork. Those reports, those fresh reports, are being walked down the hall to our SJA Colonel Ratchford. And best believe Colonel (laughs) Ratchford reviews those Amjams and comes back after lunch with little pizza grease stains. You know, don't need to dime them out, but he knows this as well. Um, My Amjams reports would have those little grease stains on there because he'd be reviewing it. And um, that's pretty much his Tuesday lunch date, as he calls. He'll hand the AMJAMS um, feedback back to me, in which I give it back give it back to the paralegals. Go over some of the the feedback with with them, and where that's when they update AMJAMS, and then it's ready to be finalized by the end of the day. On Wednesday, those reports are finalized. Um, our NAF pulls it, and on Thursday is our BTC with the MAGCOM and the NAF at the same time. Uh, on Thursdays as well is our paralegal training. So the reason why our paralegals are equipped and they're confident with their skills, when Captain Bush delegates XYZ, you know, a task to them, I have made it a point after serving four chiefs of justice is to sit down with my chief of justice and to go over the three level, five level and seven level skills. Uh, with our CFETP so that my captains, not just my chief of justice, but also our trial attorneys understand the capabilities that each paralegal skill level brings to the table. So because of that understanding, they know to come to me first, and then they would say, hey, have they been trained with this? And I pretty much since I'm in charge of training, I can tell you yes or no, they're capable of doing that. And from there, both of them just sink in and produce the product. Um, you pretty much have Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday and then Friday to get work done. If your question is, so where can work be done here? Uh, Because we laid everything out on Monday. Everything is getting done within the whole week. And the routing is pretty much on the move. I used to hound every single person. Uh, I was like, where's the package at? And I would track that package down. And then I would go back to my case paralegal and say, sir, ma'am, your package is here, because that's theirs, that's their product. Um, So daily, my focus is to QC all Article 15s and return it as soon as possible. Return it and push it up and give feedback as soon as possible. Um, For court packages, again, I QC all those court packages and route it up as soon as possible. I return all the packages to the case paralegals with feedback as soon as possible. I can't even stress that enough. That is my job, is to make sure that the quality of the work product is there and I go back to my chief of justice and we are constantly talking to each other. I have to say, I'm going to miss Captain Bush when he leaves. Um, he and I, one day I know I'll be working for him again as my future SJA. So it's just been amazing to see what what an example it is to have uh, Chief of Justice and an NCOIC teaming because it's just we're able to give honest feedback to each other. There's days where I'd close the door and we'd have our disagreements, but best believe when we get out of that office, we are singing the same tune and we are right back on track. Um, he is an amazing Chief of Justice at that because he does focus on people first and then the process. So because we're already in sync with that, he understands that uh, paralegals own the process, but the attorneys also have to understand the process so we can be efficient together. Um, it's it's really giving that constant feedback. And then at the end of the day, I keep my loss updated with our tasks. So I go to Sergeant Martin's office and I say, ma'am, this is what we're tracking for the week. So she has awareness of all that. Um, And since she is going to be my backup or she was my backup at the time in case I'm unable to be at work and in case Colonel Ratchford has questions. So that's my daily.
0: Awesome. That is a lot of good information because, you know, to your input, my follow up was going to be, you know, what are some of the best practices that every NCO I see must possess or that or or, or must uh, act upon or. And same thing with the chief of military justice, but you just provided a, a lot of good practices in there. Um, is there anything that you would, uh, that both of you would like to add as far as the best practice that a chief of military justice must have, or that a NCYC military justice must have?
2: Yeah, I think um, I echo a lot of that what, what Sergeant Flores said. Um, I I think the 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 best. A couple of best practices I'd recommend is one that am jams should touch everybody. Um, too often I think the practice is the chief of justice scrambles at, on the, the day before his am his or her am jams updates are due and they're just hucking in whatever they can remember from the week. And um, what we found is, is more effective is when you start, um, when, when you get those inputs from everyone. So as Sergeant Flores mentioned, you know, our, our am jams literally are reviewed on a weekly basis by, uh, the Case Paralegal, the Trial counsel, uh, the Justice NCOIC, the Chief of Justice, the SJA, the uh, Fifth Air Force Chief of Justice, and then we even forward them to our Circuit Trial Council um, because of some of the new changes, the AFI, um, the requirements for SVIP and, and SIP teaming. Um, we, we found that the, that the key to that is to loop in the Circuit Trial Council, so Major C6 has been awesome out here in the Pacific and really supportive. He gets those every week. Um, and, and then, of course, the Madoff has access to them every week. So when you get that final product at the at the end, um, it's it's not just that the chief justice has input those, but it's no kidding. Every single one of those people has had a role in reviewing and inputting uh, what what they've done that week on that case. And when it comes time for the justice meeting, what that means is the questions have already been raised and addressed and discussed. And usually, our justice meetings then just focus on, okay, well, how do we move forward? specific issues that have already been identified by everyone. And so it makes the, the cases, you know, that's that, the whole purpose is to move cases better and to, to keep a tracking record, you know, a better history of what we're doing. And and, and so it really um, makes that an, an effective tool um, when everyone does that because it, it really benefits the cases, it benefits the prosecutions, um, and, and everyone um, is, is better as a result of it. So that would be my first um, input Would be the Jams. And then the other one is one we briefly touched on is is just basically becoming embedded in your organizations um and getting out into their meetings one other real practical tip that you can do is you can center your justice meetings you can get those partners at your justice meetings we found that to be really effective Kenneth was really spearheaded that movement um and and there's a little bit of resistance from some partners initially but but folks are really on board now and it is such an important sync up so at our justice meetings if you look around any week we have uh, our s2I reps there, we have OSI there, our circuit trial counsel is there, all of our case paralegals and trial counsel every single one of them is there in the room um, and and we try and do it in an hour so that it's you know it doesn't um, take up too much time with folks, but it's such an important and valuable use of time. and then we also have at the end of it so we do our annual or our hour meeting um, with everyone and then folks uh, dis- disperse but then um, I stay with Colonel Ratchford. And uh, we also call Fifth Air Force and we give them a back brief and pack app on the phone as well. So, you know, by having everyone in the same room, you can really, really um, identify the issues and then what everyone's going to do on the weekend. So everything from, you know, expert witness packages to um, investigative steps to preparing for trial, everyone's there and everyone's on sync. You really save a lot of time um, and, and avoid a lot of pain by getting people there. But the only way you can do that is if, if they trust you. And if you've got those relationships in place, so you, you've really built a good rapport with those offices, they want to come to those meetings. It's not just an extra meeting. Um, it, it's a, so I, I find that to be a really valuable best practice. That's awesome.
1: For us as well, I just want to be clear. The case paralegals, and you know how AmGems is, are paralegals, right? Yeah. Are, to be very clear, Case paralegals are responsible for inputting um, the updates. Okay, so I just want to make that very clear. We receive the feedback and the input from the team for our team players, circuit trial counsel, trial counsel, OSI. All of those pretty much we write that up into a summary, and that's when our case paralegals, since they own that case, will then input that in Amjax. So, with that. Whenever they go into the to the um, weekly meetings, our case paralegals have a copy of their actual AMJAMS report in front of them, and they are constantly scrubbing that. They are the first set of eyes that scrubs it, takes notes during the meeting, and then collectively after the meeting, we will all sit down together, collect our notes, and then as the NCOIC of Justice, I'll go over it, share my notes as far as processing is concerned. So I always think two, three steps ahead while they're, while they're talking about what's coming up next. And that's you as an NCOIC truly understanding the court martial process from start to finish, the Article 15 process from start to finish and identifying, um, what needs to get done at the time. So a best practice when you're in those meetings is to have your actual MGEMS reports in front of you and Having those, the paralegals really take notes and dig deep and get them invested from the very beginning is the key there.
2: Can I jump in? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's such a valuable point. It, we all have printouts. I literally have sitting across me on this desk right now a printout of our AMGAMS cases because it's the next thing I'm doing right after this. And so we, we do have these hard copies of them that we use. Um, and then we'll write on the bottom of them from the justice meeting. We'll usually be you know creating little uh, boxes with due outs on that specific case. And I actually keep that tangible printout out in my hand. Um, and then throughout the week, when I, when I, when somebody walks through my office, I'll pull up in their case and I'll look down at the bottom and then I can just ask them, you know, right away, how is A, B, and C coming on this case? And then they've got the same thing because they were also writing it down on theirs. And so then they can respond, you know, done A, working on B, uh, need some help with C. And, and so I've found that to be a really, really effective technique too. Sorry. Oh, no, you're good
1: So as far as um uh, process is concerned, I would say establish a consistent and structured way to review and route each package. For us, we have the primary source documents and the actual case documents um, that are routed together. I also, when it comes to routing, it starts again from the case paralegal and it goes all the way up to the SJA. There's a maximum of two changes to the package. When it reached so it's the case paralegal, it goes all the way up to the NCYC of Justice. The court reporter when we used to have one the trial counsel and then the chief of justice which gives the trial counsel and the chief of justice some mentorship time and then once that's pushed up it'll then go to our leadership which would be the loss the loss would look at that she is the first line of defense when it comes to well the NCRC is the first line and the loss is the second once that goes up to the loss then she brings it back to me at the time with senior Martin. She would come back to me, give me the package, and then I would go back to the case paralegal, go over the you know the edits that need to be made, and they will clean up you know the documents. Once that's cleaned up, we then take it to the DSJA. Our DSJ looks at it, then it goes to Colonel Ratchford. Once Colonel Ratchford has the entire package, Cam Bush and I already know. Uh, that we will be called into his office. And it's not a bad thing. We used to joke around and say, oh, okay, here, here we go. But actually it was beautiful because Colonel Ratford is a natural professor. He's a natural teacher. So he brings the chief of justice, he brings me in, he brings the case paralegal in and we go over the changes together or show me why this happened or this template looks, you know, is great. Where did you guys get the source documents? It's almost always no question because that leads me to my next point, which is avoid the share drive bank and instead go directly to the primary sources, which is your JJM desk book, UCMJ, your AFIS, and your ONS to pull your references each time to ensure that we're in compliance with the new changes. That's how we stayed on top of it. That's how we caught the changes as we were routing. That's how we caught new templates. Um, following that. As the NCOIC, I'm fully invested in tracking the status of the packages and ensure that it keeps on moving. If, if I've already listed out how many people see it, see it, they know that the expectation is once that package drops on your desk, that is a priority, especially since everybody knows that a court is coming up. Um, with that said, I circle back to the case paralegal until I fin- we both finally have that package and ready to rock and roll with the final product, get it ready, and again, we work two steps ahead. Constantly refine the packages and be flexible to implement the new regs and rules, especially as it constantly changes or updates. So what I mean by constantly refine the packages is that when we are pulling up our primary AFIs and our UCMJ and our sources, and something does not make sense, that's when we ask the questions, why doesn't this make sense when we need to make, it, you know, we need to be sure that each package meets the requirements in the UCMJ. We question is, is the key there. We talk about it. Captain Bush, Colonel Ashford, myself in the processing realm, we all talk about it, um, as well as our paralegals. If we see something that does not go in line with what the ultimate UCMJ MCM reference says, we then ask the question and up-channel that to JAJM to ask about it. Why is this here in this specific checklist? Why did we miss, did we maybe miss this? Was this considered? And we provide a proposed solution or a proposed template so they can have that for review. Uh So that's, again, I'll, I'll circle right back. It's um, establish a consistent and structured way to review and route packages. Route the packages efficiently having every member of your team be invested, avoid the share drive bank and go directly to the primary sources, track the status of the packages and ensure that it keeps moving. Constantly refine the packages and be flexible to implement new changes. Which leads me to my next point, be proactive in identifying the errors or inconsistencies. Don't be afraid. Just because the rules, you know, the AFI says, this is a template. Don't be afraid to dig deeper. and routed it up to the chain with a proposed solution or template uh, so that everyone understands that this is an issue maybe we need to look at. The key here is when I attended the PACAF symposium early this year, the SJN Law symposium, I remember General Rockwell saying, make policy work for you. And so what does that mean? As the base legal officers were responsible for boots on ground, productivity, It comes from us. We are the true reason why our mission is fulfilled day in and day out. Then who better know what needs to be fixed in the field than those who work it every day? So once we do that and we are unafraid to provide the constant feedback that is in line with the rules and the advice of the SJA and the attorneys, then we're able to come up with a solution together. Because of that, it has been highlighted as a success in Kadena in our Article 6 report, such as numerous JAJM policies that were implemented Air Force-wide. An example is the, the bailiff rank clarity. You know, when you don't need to have a specific rank to be a bailiff, you just have to be neutral and attached, right? Um, the RRT changes that also came to us. We had a template for that and then The EOJ changes as well. So do not be afraid. The worst the headquarters can say is no, and this is why. But collectively, we need to be, we need to understand that everything in the military justice process is something we need to be taking ownership, pride, and definitely a bird's eye view of why we do what we do. Because every case that we touch is a person's life. And when our paralegals and our attorneys and everybody in our team understand the magnitude of that, they are a lot more careful and more deliberate when they are producing the work. It's, it's more than just work at that point. It's now processing documentation that will ultimately affect someone's life. So that's where... We stem down in the processing and the importance of having a very structured, consistent, and open mind uh, when it comes to that.
0: Awesome! No, those are excellent, excellent highlights as far as best practices and uh, uh, you know some of that stuff can definitely be implemented. Uh, some things, depending on you know how the operations, the legal office may may work in a in a certain. Um, in a certain place but for the most part these are definitely um, amazing best practices so thank you for the uh for that information i want to shift the focus a little bit now to uh paralegal utilization um so essentially you know and we know the main things that paralegals are responsible for uh as far as drafting the documents and everything amjams related uh that is paralegals almost exclusive responsibility, but how do we get more uh, from the paralegals as far as utilizing them to do maybe some more traditional attorney tasks?
2: Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's such an important uh, issue to flesh out because too often we get on autopilot mode and and just kind of plug away in our traditional roles just based on what we've seen work or not work in the Jack court. I think one important point to realize is a lot of attorneys who are, are thrust into these supervision responsibilities, whether as section leads or just as a trial counsel. I mean, you essentially become a supervisor as a trial counsel, right, with people for your trial counsel team. And a lot of attorneys are coming in with no supervision experience under their belt, right? They're coming out of law school, sometimes a few years' work experience, but they may or may not have ever worked with people. And so, it's uh, a lot of that starts with us as attorneys on recognizing the importance of team. And giving people ownership of an aspect of, of that project in order to get them excited about it, because as as much as we talk about, hey, let's let's involve paralegals and get them to do more, they you know um, some more serious work and and, and and get down into you know into the weeds with on these cases, unless the paralegal feels like they've been given a voice in that space and, and have the ability to operate, then there's no excitement. It just it can just feel like more tasks. I think one area of success, one way we've been able to, to overcome that in our office is with these, these weekly case updates. And because the week the case updates start with the paralegals, paralegals are really identifying what the next steps are in the case. They write that first. They draft it. It's not the chief of justice. It's not the trial counsel. The paralegal literally sits down, goes over their checklist, goes with their NCOIC and says, what's next on this case? And that's really powerful because I think, you know, you go from a, a relationship where someone's saying, Airman, you know, Snuffy, can you do A, B, and C? Versus Airman Snuffy, uh, coming to the attorney and saying, Hey, sir, ma'am, here's what we've got. A, B, and C. What do you think? Um, the relationship switches where the paralegal is now identifying issues and raising them, discussing them locally. With the attorney, and then raising them up to the section chiefs and uh, and leads. So that that shift takes a long time. We've been working for the past year on how to best implement that process. Um, and again, it starts on Monday morning, like we talked about. That's where that conversation first starts. And so with with paralegals, the cool thing is is it works. I mean, we've had great success, and we're seeing paralegals right now identifying issues um, that attorneys aren't catching. And, and I've had, I'm not kidding, probably in the last month, I've probably had three or four times where Airman Hamilton or Diller or Babjack, sorry Babjack, have come to me and said, Hey, sir, uh, what about this? And I have to play dumb and go, Oh, yeah, we knew that was coming. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're working on that. But they're ahead of me in the checklist, you know, and they're raising issues. And it's not just, it's not just, hey, check your witness list. You know, it's not just the, the stuff that's written out. It's It's really critical thinking. And there's a thought process happening it's catching stuff that attorneys who are too distracted with other stuff aren't catching. So I think that's, you know, probably the, the one one of the most important um ways to really facilitate that leadership over your programs is having things start with paralegals and then and then, you know, expecting that weekly conversation to be initiated by them. Um yeah.
1: So Cam Bush is absolutely right. It goes back to the paralegals. And as the NCOIC, I take it to heart when it says my job is to teach, train, and equip. So as you heard him say numerous times, checklist, 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 to the point where he is sick of me saying checklist. (laughs) But best believe our paralegals understand the why behind the importance of following the checklist because they are the leaders. They are the leaders when it comes to driving the processing so that our attorneys can focus on building quality sentencing arguments, um, looking into probable cause. And the beauty of our attorneys is that they do not hesitate to ask us, what do you think about this? And once again, once you've created that environment of open discussion and a safe place to share your input instead of being dismissive because we just can't do it, um, it's, it's been a great technique and way for us to come together because When we look at the legal office or the military justice section, we don't think, oh, it's Captain Bush's section or Sergeant Flores or Sergeant Babjack or any of our teammates. It's the legal office. So we do take the time to train and teach each other. And as I always tell the paralegals, iron sharpens iron. So when you are sitting down with your trial attorney, you have to be thinking that that's going to be your future SJA. Because in turn, Your attorney's looking at you. That's going to be my future loss. That's going to be, you know, we look at each other in that sense to where, how can I give you the feedback that you need so that we can refine our products together and make it so powerful that um, it delivers the mission without question, right? And with that, it's all focused on training. The training that we have, that I have for the paralegals and going over their checklist and constantly having them go back to source documents is the foundation of why our attorneys trust us when we give them uh, our thoughts about certain processing and also certain perspectives right when it comes to when it comes to cases we always ask them to give us you know is there something I'm not seeing that's a form of humility right that's demonstrating humility is I don't care if you and I are, you know, in the enlisted or officer tier or you and I are higher ranking or lower ranking. The rank, frankly, does not matter. It's what do you think about this case? Uh, did they say something weird or should I be looking at this in one lens? Because Cam Bush and I have seen it to where, and please don't let me speak for you, where individual backgrounds truly play a role when identifying What's in a case?
2: Yeah. yeah, that's crucial because I think if you just talk to a room full of attorneys, you're, you're not going to get uh, the, ac- the inaccurate perspective of the way society would view mm-hmm. a case or the way a jury would view a case or the way the commanders and shirts are going to view a case. You really need to get people with different uh, backgrounds and perspectives in the room and at the table discussing to, to get the, the most informed outcome. Because otherwise, you just make decisions in a vacuum. So, yeah, I, I think that those processes have to start. And it's not just the updates, you know, it's everything from your monthly discipline reports to your SOD slides, um, to your referral package, any other package. It, the, it needs to be starting with paralegals and it needs to accompany a decision about what's happening and what they think about it. Um, just to, to, to get that kind of sanity check from everybody in the room to make sure that we're all you know, making the right
1: decisions as a legal office. Our paralegals understand that their voice is very important. They do not hesitate to speak up because we do empower them to say something. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. If we're seeing it in a different light and somebody is thinking one way in the room, somebody must not be thinking, right? So those backgrounds are so important. And um, from punishments in Article 15, that's an open discussion. Best believe we would be having a huddle unintentional huddle, right? Because that's normally what happens and uh, we would talk about it, how fair it is, how not fair it is, why an LOR was issued instead of a summary court-martial. I mean, those things are are crucial in our day-to-day conversations that happen naturally back there because everyone is, again, the relationship has trust, the trust breeds confidence, the confidence builds better leaders. The leaders that you have within you are then more competent and capable of owning their process, owning their product, and therefore delivering the mission of the JAG4 timely, relevant, and key legal advice, sound legal advice, right? And processing, which is the background behind the scenes work. So that's, that's how Kadena is. We also empower them with or we also lead by example, I would like to say, when it comes to life-work balance. People like to say work-life, but contrary to that, I think it's life-work balance. Because if your life, you know, your home life is not stable, it's going to affect your work. Um, we, we, we do brag that <laughs> because we know our priorities and we've worked ahead, we are able to leave at 4.30 and we kick people out with a cowbell at 4.30 every day. So, again, you can, I want to give a shout out to our amazing military justice team here currently on Cabina. Airman Stewart, Senior Airman Dillard, Senior Airman Hamilton, Sergeant Babjack, our, you know, our NCOIC Tech Sergeant Hensley, where he is back there right now. Um, Captain Roche, Captain Laws, Captain Swanson, Ms. Garcia, just phenomenal. They are an amazing team. And I could not have asked for a better group here being on Cabina in my last year here.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, uh, thank you for sharing your, uh, your best practices in, in regards to the daily, day-to-day operations and especially the paralegal util- utilization Uh, because I I definitely believe that it's important that we're all together, that we're communicating and that absolutely that that the paralegals are initiating as well what the next step is going to be or at least bringing it up and say, "Hey, this is where I I think we should be moving next with this case and then identifying things that instead of waiting for others to identify, we can just start identifying them ahead of time. Um, So now we'll shift from that uh, into the inspection right so how did you how did you guys prepare because i mean for those that may not know cadena was you know uh, i think recently inspected it was november october time frame last year november and i mean uh not gonna say the score or anything like that but they did extremely well so i just want to know what are some of the things that that you did to prepare for the inspection
2: yeah, no, we were we're really proud of it. Um, I think it was it was flattering, obviously, to get some positive feedback uh, from JAI and and um, and they had just some great feedback. It was really a pleasure to meet with that the inspection team. They did such a, a solid job, um, but then also just to, to validate a lot of the hard work and effort. But I think what was most rewarding about it is that um, we really come together as a team and and worked hard. And so I think it was just a result of. of Everything else we've been talking about, um, it, and so that was that was validating. Um, but I, I think the, the key was, first of all, you have to have um, a savant for an SJA <laughs> <laughs> who is just, and it, you know, her Retro has probably a thousand years of institutional knowledge in his head. And, and when he leaves, that the dad car will will lose a lot of really invaluable uh, institutional knowledge. He's just a, a, a really incredible mind when it comes to the JAG Corps and military justice um, just so sharp and and so diligent and the way that he um, sticks to his programs and processes that he puts in place and really holds people to the highest uh, level of expectation does it in a kind way and a fair way but really gets the most out of uh, his people I've, I've never seen it like that um, but the, the way that I think he passed that down to us and the way that it worked is he basically instilled the inspection process from day one as our operating process And so rather than have a share drive that we go to, we have an inspection drive. You better believe we're going and we're in every single day. And so of those 120 questions, there's a monthly calendar, compliance calendar that's broken down. And every single section has anywhere from 5 to 15 questions that they cover each month and go through and substantiate and update in real time. And the SJA reviews every single one of those questions every single month um, that that have been signed out to people and gives us really... uh, really direct feedback on making not only the answer to the question look sharp and in accordance with the the regulations, but also to show that our work product from that month is being uploaded into that file. So we really overwhelmed the inspectors. I think they were shocked by how many gigs of (laughs) information we gave them. But the intent wasn't to, you know, try and bombard them or try and show off or try and be impressive. It, It was because that was the way that we organized our drive and our information. We built our entire processes around the inspection requirements because we figured that's what higher headquarters thought was important. That's what we would focus on in in delivering to our clients. And as a result, you know, I think we got some pretty good products um, uploaded in there because we were tracking them for three years. And every person, I mean, when you're talking about 120 questions for four sections, our 30 plus person team here at Kadena, everyone has to be on sync with that because one person can't just do the inspection by themselves. So every section knew exactly what questions they were in charge of. And more importantly, they knew what was expected of them with the people across the installation. So when they did their work product, it was up to, you know, for lack of a better word, it was up to code and met the inspection standards because we were aware of what those standards were from day one. And then again, we just had Colonel Ratchford who was just on it like a hawk and, and kept to it. When he first presented that this plan, he basically laid it out to us. And he he was pretty much met with a village mob <laughs> that, that was like in our heads, you know. I think out loud we are like, oh, sure, boss. Yeah, we'll be in our heads. I think everyone thought, like, yeah, right. That's there's, so hard. There's yeah. no way that this program will survive more than a month. We'll probably do this really diligently for a month and then it'll taper it off. But no, I mean, to his credit, he was so uh, thorough and and um, strict to that schedule that pretty soon, after a couple months, you know, the complaining had stopped and we started to see the wisdom behind it. Um, we started to see the value of understanding those inspection questions because it really made our jobs easier in the end because we didn't have to go in and do things that weren't expected of us. We didn't focus our energy on, on, on things that, that, that aren't as important. We were able to really focus on on what we should be doing as a JAG Corps based on these inspection questions. So, um, yeah, I... You know, when we tell people that, I think it can be overwhelming, <laughs> but I, I think that's why the inspection went as well as it did, and I think that's why people, as Sergeant Flores said, go home at 4.30. When there's times, you know, if there's a trial or if there's an urgent issue, of course people are, are paying, um, are putting in long hours, and, you know, that'll always happen. Um, the military, there will always be times where you've got to, to, to put in um, more time. For the most part, even when it came time that month before the inspection, we were literally during the month leading up to the inspection, we were going home at four thirty, and that's because we've been we've been following the processes for three years and not just three months scrambling to get the inspection done.
1: Right. So again, Colonel Ratchford incorporated that into our daily process, but in all actuality, it's the leadership team up there because as a NCYC of Justice. I was learning from the leadership team, my senior enlisted leaders up there, such as Senior Master Martin, who's now retired, Amber Martin, and Master Mbolda. And what they did up there as the leadership team was to provide us with a sizable, realistic monthly questions expectation, meaning we ha- every section had about four to five questions to answer per month, four to five, answer, you know, four to five questions. Answer per month, and it was just a revolving review every month, right? Because things do happen as the NCOIC of military justice. I knew that questions 13 to 75 were mine, those were my you know, those were military justice questions. And those are with Captain Bush, we would sit down together and we would assign questions to individuals in our team. right? yes, the paralegals. We're in those questions. Hey, you're the NJP clerk, you're gonna answer guess what? Number fifty one all the way to fifty five. Get you know, have the adverse actions chief. I you know, it's it's too specific to me to be naming people in there because they've already moved and transitioned over, um, and PCS. But nonetheless, the NJP clerk and the adverse actions attorney would be knocking out the article 15 questions together because that's their program and they see it constantly. Um, With that, because it was on the, on a realistic monthly schedule that was reviewed, that was initiated by the paralegal, the attorney, and then reviewed by leadership. The feedback was almost instantaneous to where we can constantly just, you know, update it as we go, which then equals to incorporating it in our daily process. And if something sticks out to us, for example, the owner of that question will be like, oh, hey, remember that DNA collection for question 57? That happened in my case. They're able to give us that cross-talk feedback, and then that's when we go in there and, and, no kidding, upload the document, update our substantiation, and then uh, update the question as well. Everybody was on board. Was it difficult in the beginning? Yes, any change when you try to implement yeah. it, it's difficult. But once your entire team understood that if we do it consistently and if we do it, you know, embed it with our everyday process, then not only do we know our job, but we understand what's expected of us, not just by Congress, but also by the Jaguar. So monthly questions, sizable. We have a calendar for that. That's in our PACAF page, if you need any help, please feel free to reach out. We've had a lot of bases reach out to us. Um, we have the, a sample of our shared drive that's divided into folders. Um, and so if anybody needs help with their inspection program, please feel free to reach out. We are here to help each other. Um, we're only an email or phone call away and we would be more than happy to go over the inspection process with you. It's all about perspective. Um, Everybody um, almost dreads an inspection, correct? But if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing from the start, then you should not hesitate on having other people outside of your office check your work.
2: Yeah, and it's such a valuable resource just as a drive, like I said, to to consult. So when I think about an issue that arises, my first question is, do we have something like that on the inspection drive? And as a new Chief of Justice, to be honest, the thing that was most intimidating to me was post-trial because so much of that is is driven and initiated by paralegals um, who understand that process better than the attorneys. And so I was intimidated by that. I didn't want uh, the paralegals of the section to know that I was clueless on that process. And then there's, you know, by the way, there's like four different 300 plus size regs and MCNs and uh, RCMs out there. You know, you have to, there's so many Flipping resources to try and get smart on for post trial, but it's just it's just a beast. But the best way to do it is just look at the the eight post trial inspection questions because that'll capture all the requirements that you're going to have to answer the mail on. So start there um, as a paralegal or as a justice, um, either trial counsel or chief of justice, and just look at that, and then you can see in the answers what your job is because it'll it'll give you the reg, the reference, and then it'll say what you're supposed to do. And if you can review those eight questions, suddenly. People think you're really smart and they think that you know all those regs back and forth, you know, back, back and backwards and frontwards. But, but it's really just because you've gotten familiar with lots expected of you. And so that is the best place, I think, to start. And then with time and cases, you, you can get into more of the nuances. But yeah.
1: Right. But as a new Chief of Justice or NCOIC, definitely ask for your article, your last article six inspection report. Always just just ask your loss, ma'am, sir, Can I, may I please see the inspection report? And with that, it'll tell you pretty much what they've identified in the military justice section. From there, as the justice NCIC and the chief of military justice, we can look at it together and say, okay, so either we need to fix this or this needs to be kept. You know what I mean? Like you can identify what processes needs to be kept in place. Because if it's not broken, then don't fix it. Refine it, make it better, sure. But if it's been working, it doesn't matter who sits in that position. Meaning, the personality and the person doesn't matter. The process itself, if it's established well, should be able, you know, anyone who sits in that position should be able to run that program succinctly and seamlessly, you know? So, again, it's more. Reference versus preference. So if it's, we owe it to the people who are going to come after us to establish and lock in a solid program so that they can continue the trajectory of, of how we've been processing things on Kadena. And then with new personnel coming in, we do not hesitate to do training sections focused on back to basics, you know, especially when you have new, new changeover. That's actually what's gonna happen next week when I have new paralegals come in. It's indoctrinating them in to hey, welcome to Kadena. This is your section, this is what the expectations are, and this is how we do things. And you can almost always believe that we will point you to the primary sources because again, we don't we don't rely on our share drive bank. We go to the primary sources and constantly teach, train, and equip each other on the knowledge that we have to keep moving forward.
0: <clears throat> no, that's great. And it's a good segue to our last topic, which is training. So how does the office go about conducting training? And how is it? Well, yeah, so how do you conduct training on a weekly basis? How And how do you document?
1: It? So for Paralegal and attorney training. We it normally takes place every week on Thursdays from seven thirty to eight thirty. This is more of an interactive and a variety type of training. Meaning we have we have themes um, from in and outside the office, such as campus flight. Um, you know, we use the KM sites. We've set that up with you know prior, and we have a training plan that we develop every quarter. We used to do it every year. But now we do it every quarter, especially since a lot of the MJA Act has been implemented throughout field, new training. And then what happens is, if, in the paralegal side, I, I can definitely speak to this, is if you are in upgrade training, we will be doing upgrade training with the supervisor. Uh, once, once a month, we would then come together as a section. They would do section training. And they would do, for example, a back to basics training session, such as how do we do a preferral package from start to finish? Uh, we've also made it to where we would serve each other Article 15, because we don't know what happens when, you know, especially when you have new paralegals. There is always a variety, mainly focused on building leaders and strengthening institutional knowledge, right? That's why we go to campus. We go to KM, we go to the Parallel COVID-19 training page. I mean, it's just amazing to see what it is. As the train, you know, the primary person in charge of training, I do my best to look at the relevancy of that training, right? How is it relevant right now? Right now I have a new team. What do they need to know? And so we would build them up from there and then we would also do paralegal, and attorney training together, like we did ROT training together, we did AMJAMS training together, so they knew the intricacies of AMJAMS, although they cannot touch it, or or so we say. Um, they really can't, <laughs> they would come hover over us to make those inputs. Uh, we would do training, we would invite other SMEs, like uh, Chief Covedo, who's our superintendent, who did a bullet writing with us. I mean, we Open the scope, not just with institutional knowledge, but also professional development outside the office. And we bring in key speakers who would help us train in that in that area. Um, also, I think this one is the key: training is every day for us. To be honest with you, because in every package, when we have an error or an update, for example, we would huddle again and talk about it. Literally, we would be like, "Hey." You know, for this vacation action, we should have put effective data punishment XXX because AFI said this. Uh, especially with the skill levels that we have back there, we, we're constantly training. We're constantly training no matter what. And the beauty of having a consistent routing package and a structured one is being able to go back to the template sources and actually doing OJT at the same time. So it's relevant and we also make it a point to dig deep in our training sessions. We, I want to say we challenge our paralegals to ask, so why do we have to do the PDS? So why is preferral important? So where in the RCM says we have to do preferral? You know, we go we go back to why. Why is that? Why is that important?
2: Mm-hmm. Why is that a thing? Yeah, I, th- I think that's huge. I mean, we can substantiate training, you know, as a weekly tie it up with a nice little bow and say, we do training mm-hmm. every week for an hour, you know, and, and that kind of checks the, the training box when it's for inspectors or anyone asking. But that's that's exactly right. Sergeant us said the real training is happening every day. Okay. So Tech Sergeant Nellie Hensley is our current uh, military justice, answer, I see. we call yeah. her TIO, T-I-O, which stands for the Immovable Object, because she cannot be pulled out of that section. She is always training uh, paralegals anytime I walk by her office. She's either in her office with a paralegal and they're they're pouring through a checklist or she's in their office um, w- working over a document uh, with them together, training, training on hands. You, you can't really identify what an individual needs in a group setting. And so whether it's a new uh, A1C is taken over the 15 program or discharges, you can go through kind of a generic training in an hour session with people to cover the basics, but until that person's sitting down in AMGAMs looking at the drop down options, that's, that's when the training really occurs. And so that, that has to come from one on one, getting, you know, going to their office, identifying weaknesses, and then helping them. So really, really pleased um, with how much initiative uh, our, our NCOs and senior NCOs take in, in leading that role and that charge. The other thing we do that I think is neat is, and you, you've seen this, Master um, Sergeant is we, we like to bring our paralegals to our trainings that yes. we do and have them brief as often as possible. And so joint, when you train someone else on your role, you really have to think about what you do. And then you have to answer questions that you might not have thought about in front of an entire people. So there's no better way to become a subject matter expert than to go and stand in front of people and pretend like you're a subject matter expert. You do that for a couple of months and all of a sudden you're like, Oh shoot. Yeah. I've, I've thought through a lot of this stuff. So I think um, too often attorneys, See on their calendar a training opportunity. They grab the keys and they head out. the door the door and they see, "See you guys in an hour. I've got to go to this training." That's such a good opportunity to just snag the section the paralegal who's in charge of that. Have them get in the car with me, drive together, um, and and have them be responsible for giving portions of that brief and answering questions. It does it does wonders. So
1: yes, definitely. So uh, as a sitting loss now, I make it a point to always teach and train. My NCOIC. Absolutely. I, I want her to be better than me. I want her to thrive. I want her to definitely, you know, be so equipped back there to make sure that she, hello?
0: Hi. Yeah, you're good.
1: Um, to make sure that she has everything that she needs and she is phenomenal. Again, Sergeant Hensley, shout out to her. For for always training, teaching, and being hands on with the team back there, could not have asked for a better NCOIC. Um, with uh, with Cam Bush, also the training, the joint training that paralegals do when we go outside of the office, whether that's training annual training with security forces or first sergeant symposium, a paralegal is there with the attorney, briefing it.
2: Briefing, yeah. yes. Not just watching, but briefing.
1: Briefing, yes. And yeah. so that's when you can tell that ownership starts and stops with them and it's it's a collective effort it's a team effort and it starts from top down and down up that is a true statement so we're here to take care of each other we're here to you know sharpen each other and we're definitely here to make sure that we carry out what we are asked to do which is to take care of our people who are the best resource that we have and then from there the mission and the process will take care of itself
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I hear, you know, throughout this entire chat and this discussion, which, you know, thank you again for taking the time to do this. i uh, a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion within within our process, right? Just including one another, making sure that everyone is invested or has a stake in in everything that that is happening in our section uh, and in the entire legal office. So that's awesome. Well, again uh that is all the questions that i had for you but uh thank you for sharing you know your knowledge your expertise and 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 just the excellent product that uh, that you have shown and and that the air force found out uh, that is happening at Kadena as well so i definitely wanted to make sure that not only i got that information but that as many people as possible also got the information Um, as far as some of the best practices as to how Cadena is doing things because you all are absolutely crushing it. Um, So once again, congratulations on the inspection and congratulations on being the greatest or being the greatest (laughs) legal office um, in the Air Force for 2019. So now you can go and go to the beach. Is it good weather right now at (laughs) (laughs) Cadena?
2: It's beautiful, yeah. A little bit, the the rainy season hasn't been as, as bad as it's been in past years, so Absolutely. That's some uh, group uh, PT snorkel sessions are in order, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) That's right. And how's COVID affected not too much in Okinawa? Uh,
2: It it, it has for sure. So some of the restrictions were just recently lifted um, and and it's been um, quite extensive because of course out here we have to balance the needs of, uh, of our partner nations and our USFJ partners and then the individual installations, you know, there's all services are on this island. So it's a big balancing act of, of getting everyone um, to, to, you know, to getting all those perspectives on the situation. And, and uh, so we're just coming out of some of the restrictions, but perfect time for the beach, absolutely. That's
0: right, yeah. So you can hit up the beach. And that's one of my favorite things about going, uh, about being in Kadena for as long as I, as I was there, is the drive from Douglas. Right, will just drive. Yeah. Coming down the hill to the yes. legal office, right around the golf course. And you see the, I mean, if it's a beautiful day, you just see the water, you see the ocean. So you already, you know, yeah. already have a smile on your face. Your spirits should be lifted from that scenery as you go. Yeah. The and, then,
2: and then you slip out for lunch and you, you're five minutes out the gate. You've got, you know, the best sushi in the world. And then right. it's, it's an assignment to, if it's not on your dream sheet, shame on you. <laughs> That's
1: right.
2: But Absolutely. Uh, we feel very
1: fortunate. Beautiful. Thank you, you again it. for having us. Yeah, thanks so much,
2: Master and Fres.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Well, you will have a great day, and hopefully you're not too busy, but uh, continue to kill it.